Thanks for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Joel Hudson, the worship pastor here at Rolling Hills Community Church, Nashville campus. We're so glad that you joined us today as we continue with our series, Finish Strong. Today, you'll hear from Pastor Jason teaching us about the faithfulness of Caleb in Joshua chapter 14. And now, here's Jason. Well, I want you guys to take a moment to think about something very significant in your life that you have finished. Maybe you're a runner and you remember that first 5K that you finished or the first 10K or the first marathon and it was the culmination of all of the training and all of the preparation and then you cross the finish line and there is just a feeling that overcomes you with such a sense of accomplishment. You're also very, very sore, but you're very, very accomplished in that moment because all of the training paid off. Or maybe you started a new business or you are started a new division of a business and you remember oh so well what it was like before the business existed and that day that the business actually opened. And you're sitting there and you're seeing the physical spaces that you have laid out, the hiring, all of the things that have culminated to that moment. And in the moment, you have just a split second to just kind of stop and appreciate it all because you realize this is something that was finished this chapter was finished, so to speak. Or maybe you're a parent, and it was that moment that your child walked across the stage to receive their high school diploma, and you weren't sure that you would make it there either, more or less that they would make it there, but you celebrate it because it was an, a milestone, it was an accomplishment, something that was finished, a finished line that was reached. We all have those things that we have finished that we are incredibly proud of. On the flip side, you probably also have a number of things in your life that you have not finished. A lot of us have unfinished, refurbished furniture in our garage right now. We're getting to it one of these days. We're halfway through. We still have one drawer left to finish. Some of you guys are laughing way too seriously because that that is you or there's a half-painted wall in your house because home improvement projects were really fun in April of 2020. But now in November of 2020, you're over it and you've decided to just leave the wall half-painted. There's some songwriters in the room and you guys always have a song in your head. It's just never been finished. It's not put to paper. There's still a missing piece of inspiration, or maybe it's a ministry, or it is some business that you have been dreaming up, and it's just been lying dormant for just a little bit too long, and you desire to finish it. Whatever those things might be, I'm sure we have a laundry list of those as well. Things that we've just not gotten around to yet, or that we have not completed. And my question to you is, why do we finish some things, and why do we delay other things? What causes me to give all, with one particular instance, but causes me to kind of marginally be all in when it comes to something else. Well, this morning I'm hoping and praying that God would give each and every one of us wisdom and insight into what it means to finish strong. And I'm not just talking about what it means to finish strong in this initiative that we're in, but to finish strong and run the race that God has put before us, finishing things that really matter. I believe that some of us are going to finish tasks in our life that really are very little significance. And we're going to put a lot of energy and a lot of time into things that really don't have any eternal significance and much more significance than what just happens in the moment. And then we will do that sometimes at the expense of finishing things that actually matter and that really have longstanding purpose and meaning and that God desires to use. And so this morning, we're going to set our sights on Joshua chapter 14. And we're going to ask God to show us what it means to finish strong, the, ru- the race that he has put before us and some of the obstacles that might rear their head and how we can prevent from being someone who just quits along the way, but rather to say, God, help me to finish what you have put 
in front of me. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open to Joshua chapter 14. You're going to see some of those words up here on the screen in just a moment. Some of them are printed there for you in your worship guide. But I want to review for you in case you're new with us today. Or maybe the book of Joshua is a new book to you. Or maybe you're brand new to church. This is the first time you've been in church in a long time. And you just want kind of a, a, a primer as to what's happening here. Well, the book of Joshua gives us this snapshot into God's chosen people, the Israelites. And the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt under a very oppressive rule of Pharaoh, but God raises up Moses and delivers the Israelites, and he's taking them on a journey through the wilderness, ultimately to the promised land, and God provides for them in very incredible ways. He promises them that he's going to deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey, and he gives them a lot of laws and a lot of rules, a lot of commands that they are to follow, and all of those rules and all of those commands are there so that their agenda will be God's agenda and not their agenda. It's the purpose of all the rules and the commands that we see in the Old Testament and the principles that we see lived out from start to finish in the Bible. It's about God's agenda and about us not living our lives for ourselves, but rather what God desires to do. But what do the Israelites do? The Israelites do what we all too often do. They allow their agenda to take first place over God's agenda. And as a result of that, God tells Moses as their leader, you're not going to make it to the promised land personally. I'm going to raise up a new leader, your mentee, Joshua, and Joshua will take the Israelites the remainder of the way. And under Joshua's leadership, they see incredible victory in battles. They see some incredible miracles. And some of you have been with us from the start of this series, and you've been wondering, when are the Israelites actually going to make it to the promised land? We've made it. Okay, you have waited patiently. We are here. Joshua 14, they have made it to the promised land. Thank you so much for being at church today. Let's finish strong and close this in prayer. Not so fast. Spoiler alert. Go back to Egypt. If you go way back to Egypt, most biblical scholars would say that somewhere between 500,000 to 2 million Israelites actually started the journey on their way to the promised land when they were delivered under Moses' leadership. Do you guys want to take a guess as to how many of that original group are still here present in Joshua chapter 14? 250,000? 200,000? A couple hundred? 47? Two. Two million? No. 200,000? No. 2,000? No. Two. One, two. So evidently finishing strong is a little bit harder than we thought. Evidently, finishing strong is something that's going to take a little bit more effort. It's not going to be an easy path. So let's see what's going on in Joshua chapter 14. Look at verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And so you get introduced to Caleb here and you pick up in this dialogue between Caleb and Joshua and you probably realize there's some backstory that you may not know about just quite yet. If you're a little bit confused about Joshua chapter 14, that's okay because there is a backstory that we're going to get to here in just a second. But these two original Israelites that actually made it to the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. Why these two guys? What about these two guys set them apart that allowed them to stay faithful to God through the entire journey? We'll go back and look at verse 8. 
it says that these guys followed the Lord God wholeheartedly. And because they followed God wholeheartedly, they received the inheritance that God had promised. So what does that say about the remainder of the group? Let's just say for a good even number, there's one million of them that started the journey. What does that say about the other 999,998 Israelites? Well, for starters, it says that they're no, they're no longer here. They have all died off because they were unfaithful to God's agenda and God's plan. And so Joshua is now leading the second generation of Israelites. He's leading the children of those original Israelites who were delivered from captivity. What does it also say about the original group, Sands, Joshua, and Caleb? That evidently they didn't follow God wholeheartedly. That was not a word that was used to describe them. Now that word wholeheartedly can literally be translated as fully or with everything. So the rest of the group didn't fully follow God. And you see some notes there that you can fill in the blanks if that helps you kind of pay attention and gives you some things that you can process through over the course of this week. You're going to see the first blanks. There's being aware of who God is. It's not the same as wholeheartedly following him. Being aware of who God is is not the same as wholeheartedly following him. And I think this is a really important point for us. I think this is a very important point for us here in the Bible Belt. Because sometimes our awareness of God is mistaken for wholeheartedly following him. Go back and think about the Israelites and their specific story. Do you think that all of them were aware of God? Sure. They had to be aware of God because when God brings plagues like boils and frogs and lice up on the entire Egyptian population, I think I'm going to stop and take note and probably have some awareness that I'm not doing this, but that God is at work. He delivers them. They're wandering through the wilderness, and when they need water, water comes from a rock. When they need food, in that 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, God provides them manna. When they got tired of manna, God provided them quail. They had to be aware of who God is and what God was doing. It's hard not to be aware of a God who parts the sea so that you can walk through on dry land, and in the moment that your enemy's pursuing you, step into the sea, the waters crash back down over them and recede and destroy the enemies. It's hard to imagine that they weren't aware of who God is and what God was doing, but just because they were aware of his presence didn't mean that they were wholeheartedly following him and that they were trusting him. And the reality is for some of us today, it's really no different for us. We're aware of God. We understand what Jesus did for us. We sense some peace in our life when we lean into spiritual things. But perhaps this morning, God has become one of five things that you've tried to make your most important agenda. Maybe God is one among many things that you're seeking to follow right now. And you will not finish strong unless you're willing and have a willingness to be wholeheartedly following after him. Go back to Joshua 14, 9. So that day Moses swore to me, this is Caleb speaking, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Moses says to Caleb, this land will be your inheritance because you have followed me wholeheartedly. Moses swore that to Caleb 45 years ago. 45 years prior to this moment, Moses swore to Caleb, you are going to inhabit the promised land. And friends, it happened exactly like God said it was going to happen. And you see this here on your notes. God's promises never change. Who changes? We change. God's promises never change. We are the ones that change. Perhaps you're holding a copy of God's word or you have an access to it on a mobile app. 
this word that you're holding is filled from start to finish with promises that God has made you. Things that you can build your faith upon, that you can build your life upon. Just for a few examples, God promised you that his mercies are new every morning. What great news. That's in Lamentations chapter 3. God promised us that we can actually have pure joy whenever we are faced with various trials in our life. That's James chapter 1. God promised us that it's only through Jesus Christ that our relationship with God can be restored and that we can be made right. That's John 14. God said when it comes to finances and money, for example, that you can trust him wholeheartedly. It's the one time in Scripture that God says, put me to the test. Put me to the test when it comes to the area of finances, one of the chief competitors for an agenda that's not God's in our life. And God says, see if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out rich, abundant blessings in your life. It's Malachi chapter 3. See, God's promises never change. We are the ones that change. And we look for meaning in a myriad of other places. Think about Joshua and Caleb. Did Joshua and Caleb have some superhuman strength that the rest of the Israelites didn't have? What Joshua and Caleb were willing to do is they were willing to finish strong because they chose to believe that God's promises would build in your life a wholehearted, fully in, all in walk with God. It's why finishing strong is so challenging. But it's also why this work that God has put in front of us is of the utmost importance. It's why next generation ministry is so important. It's why expansion of our campus is so important. And I'm so looking forward to all that God is going to do because you and I are living in a world right now. We're actually sending our kids and our grandkids into a world where the agendas that are being sold to them right now are going to be 10 times of what they are right now in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And it should be on the forefront of our mind and our heart and our obedience to say, God, I want to be a servant of you who's wholeheartedly following you so that this next generation will not be taken asunder by the ways of this world and the lies that this world will tell them, but that they will understand the truth from your word. Now go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Because I want to give you another snapshot, another snapshot, a little bit of the backstory about what's going on here. In fact, I'm taking you this morning into all of the books of the Bible that once you get to these books in your reading plan, you just kind of pass over them and go to the book of Psalms. Because you're in Deuteronomy and Numbers and all these things, and you're like, ah, oh, this is so confusing, but there's such rich content here. And this gives you a little bit of the backstory. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 1, this is what has happened. God has been given, or God has given Moses, I should say, a, a kind of a, a command, a, a, a promise that the promised land is going to be the Israelites. But he says, I want you to go and send 12 leaders into the promised land. I want you to go and scope out the land. Send some spies into the land to see what the land is really like, to get a closer look at the inheritance, and then they're told to come back to Moses and report what they saw. 12 spies are sent. Would you like to take a guess as to who two of those 12 spies are? Joshua and Caleb. They're two of these 12 spies. And they go, and Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 26 through 36, gives us some more insight into what they saw and to kind of what the theme of the day was. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness there you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son all the way 
You went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And when the Lord heard what you said, he was angry. And he solemnly swore, no, from this evil generation, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give it to him and his descendants in the land his feet are on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. See, these 12 spies come back that Moses had sent. These 12 spies come back, and the general report is the people are really big there. That's the general report. The people are really big there. This is going to be a huge challenge. Guys, there is so much for us to be afraid of in this new land. And they grumble and they continue to complain about the continued journey that they are going to have to take. Moses even says in verse 29, a verse that's very reminiscent of what God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. You don't have to be terrified. You don't have to be afraid. The Lord is going before you. Remember what I have done. In the wilderness over the last 40 years, and then you see right here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, what I think are two of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. These verses are so gut-wrenching. As Moses says, in spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. You didn't trust in the Lord your God. In spite of all of the things that he has done for you, you didn't trust in him. God who searched out the places for you to camp. God who showed you the way that you should go. And you see this here in your notes. But I encourage you, do not lose sight in the uncertainty of today that God has already gone before you to show you the way. Do not lose uncertainty. Or do not lose sight in the uncertainty of today that God has already gone before you to show you the way. Has 2020 been an uncertain year for anyone? Has been for me. I'm not going to have you raise your hands to this question because I don't want to force you to be this brutally honest in church. Does anybody just kind of want to quit 2020? I know I have. In my adult life, I'm not sure that there has personally been a year that I have been aware of and more acutely aware of just how tired I have been, just how overwhelming all of the circumstances are, just how exhausted I am and how exhausted everybody around me seems to be. And then I remember the Israelites. And they were wandering in a desert. They were completely dependent on the hand of God and the provision of God. And what did God remind them? God reminded them he was with them. And Moses reminded them, in spite of all that God has done, you didn't trust him. Even in the midst of all the obstacles, you didn't trust him. I certainly don't want that to be said about me. In fact, it's one of the goals of my life. And I hope it's one of the goals of your life, that we would get to the end of our lives and that we would be able to say, you know what, we trusted God. No matter how big or surmounting the obstacles may have been, we trusted God. Some of us have lost sight in all the uncertainty that we see in front of us right now. And we've lost sight that God is before us. We have lost sight that God is with us. We have lost sight that God is behind us. You don't have to worry. You can trust him. Some of you are making commitments today. Some of you are wanting to make a commitment today to help finish strong the work that God is calling us to do and to trust God in this next season of ministry. But perhaps you're allowing the uncertainty of the day. You're allowing the uncertainty of all that's going on around you to get in the way of what God is asking you to do. And I want you to hear this. 
God has prepared the way. God has promised that he will be with us, that he will be with you. I am so excited about what's to come. I cannot wait. I mean, I am ready for a huge dirt pile. I am ready for mud. I am ready for it all. I want you guys surfing in on Sunday mornings just in a big mud pit because the expansion is happening. You guys are like, what are we signing up for? I'm so excited about that. So grateful for all that's going to happen. But listen to this from a very practical perspective. From a very practical perspective, God already knows what's going to happen with this campus expansion. It's not our plan. It is his plan. God already knows the new people that are going to be reached. God knows how long the site work is going to take to be approved by the town of Nolansville. It's in the town of Nolansville's hands, but it's God's plan. God knows the kids that will be reached in new kids' ministry space. God knows the marriages that are going to be restored. God knows the marriages that are going to happen as a result of what's happening here in the life of our church. And God even knows the missionaries that are going to be raised up from preschool and kids and student ministry. Some of your own kids may go do very kingdom-focused things for the gospel because of your commitment to finish strong. What else does God already know? God already knows who's going to commit to give $100 a month. God already knows who's going to commit to give $1,000 a month. God already knows who's going to commit to give $25,000. God already knows who's committed to give $250,000. God knows the timeline. God knows the ministry. God knows the finances. He's the one that has prepared the way. However, he prepared the way for the Israelites, and 999,998 of them didn't wholeheartedly follow after. Let's don't allow their reasons for not following to be some of the same reasons that we allow our own agenda to get in the way because see what has God done God has invited us into this process God works through you God desires to work through you and you can be like the 10 other spies who come back and say nah the enemies are really big the obstacles are really huge or you can be like Joshua and Caleb who says let's get on board God is with us he has never left us and therefore, he can be trusted in this moment. Now, there's another reference, another reference to this moment of the faithfulness in Joshua. Go to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, you're going to see just another part of the story. Another part of the story unfold here. And the backstory again, is that Moses had sent out these 12 spies to go and explore the promised land. He tells them, go see what kind of land it is. Go see if the soil is fertile. It's kind of like if you're buying a new farm. You're going to go check out the farm before you put, you know, a a contract on it or sign on the dotted line. And so they go, and these 12 spies go. They go to see what the trees are like, what's the fruit like. It's kind of like a site visit, if you will. In Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 33, is the report after these 12 spies come back. And this is what they say to Moses and to all of the other Israelites. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them in the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You see this here in your notes, but when you struggle to trust God's faithfulness, the obstacles will always take up more real estate in your life than God intended for them to. When you struggle to trust God's faithfulness, the obstacles will always take up more real estate in your life than God intended them to take. Look at Caleb. What did Caleb not question? Caleb did not question the faithfulness of God. And therefore, the obstacles didn't take up all of this valuable real estate in his heart and in his mind. Think about Caleb and Joshua. What did they see that everybody else saw? They saw the same things that the other ten spies saw. They saw the giants. They saw the enemies. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They saw the fruit trees. They saw the fruit on the vine. They saw the same things that everybody else saw. But what set Caleb apart is he wasn't afraid or discouraged by the obstacle or by the challenge. It is so easy for my heart and it's so easy for my mind to be consumed with all of the obstacles. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you're here this morning and one of the parts of this sermon that you can most relate to is that the obstacles in your life right now have taken up so much real estate in your heart and mind that God is saying, I want you to transition and give those things to me and trust my faithfulness. That's why the Bible is filled with close to 400 commands of not worrying and not fearing because God knew that this was going to be such a struggle for us. Have you ever noticed in life how one person can go through a really severe challenge and it debilitate them? And then another person goes through a really severe challenge and they soar. And they allow God to use that moment or they seem deeper in their faith journey or a richer way of living, whatever the case might be. Why is that? Is it because she's superhuman and I'm just normal? I don't think so at all. I think it's because she trusted God with it all. And trusted God's faithfulness. See, if I don't trust that God will be faithful, then I'm probably going to struggle to see how he's going to work when the giants are huge. Because when I'm like a grasshopper among giants, those aren't my words. It's what the spies said about the land, the promised land. They felt like grasshoppers among giants. When I feel like a grasshopper among giants, I'm going to try to live my life just trying to not be squashed by all the giants. That's going to be my day in and day out agenda is just walking ever so carefully to make sure that some giant doesn't just squash me or that some tactic of the enemy doesn't destroy me or that some of my own fears and my failures and my past sins just come and the weight is so heavy up on my life. It's not what God had in store for you. It's not what God has in store for me. He did not create us so that we could walk through life like a little grasshopper just trying to avoid the crushing weight of everything that's coming in on us. Rather, he said, I have gone before you. I have prepared the way for you. I have fought the battles for you, and you can trust me. You can trust me. So finish the race and complete the work that I have for you. Our last point this morning, your work is never done. Your work is never done, so finish strong. Your work is never done, so finish strong. Go back to Joshua 14. Look at Joshua 14, 10 through 12. Look at Caleb's words. 
Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. After being in the wilderness for 40 years, he receives this great promise that he wholeheartedly had walked in with God. Moses promised him something 45 years later brings us up to this point, and Caleb goes out at the age of 85, and he says to Joshua, put me in. I'm just as strong today as I was back then. Don't you love Caleb? Don't you love Caleb? He's like the old guy at the gym who tries to power lift and stand up to the 18-year-olds and the 19-year-olds. He's like, move out of the way, guys. I've got experience in my corner, and you're going to throw your back out. But I've thrown my back out a couple times, and so I learned how to do it properly. He's got experience in his corner. Your work never stops. Retirement is not in the Bible. Retire from your job, please. You can retire from your job. You don't retire from faith. You don't retire from your faith journey. You don't retire from God using you. Some of us in the room, we have accumulated more wealth than we have ever had. We've accumulated more life experiences than most. We have seen God's faithfulness in seasons of plenty and God's faithfulness in really lean seasons. And some of us have the audacity to say, now's the time I want to step back and retire. Now's not the time to retire. Now's the time to be like Caleb and say, I'm just as strong as I have ever been. So God, use me. Use me in whatever way you desire. I can volunteer. I can serve. I can invest. I can do whatever. I can help build new transitional living homes in Moldova. I know that my obedience will matter because my work is never finished. Let's finish strong, guys. Let's finish strong. And finishing strong is going to take work. It's going to take each and every one of us realizing what God's promises are today. So let's not allow ourselves to be defined by all the obstacles. But rather, let's finish the race that God has put in front of us. It's why the writer in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it's such life-giving verses for us this morning. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's set our sights on him today. And let's finish strong the race that he has put in front of us. Lord, thank you for meeting us in this place. So grateful for who you are. I thank you that you know the story of each and every person who's present here this morning. God, you know the struggles that we are dealing with. You know the obstacles that we are encountering. You know the areas of our life where we're struggling to be faithful And you know the areas of our life where we've allowed our own agenda to take precedent over your agenda. And so, God, in this moment, we pray that you would find us all faithful. Help us to not give up. Help us to finish strong, to run the race that you have put in front of us, to not allow the obstacles to take up such valuable real estate in our heart and our mind, but to trust you to trust your faithfulness, to trust and see how you've been good to us. You were so good to us 10 years ago. You were so good to us 10 hours ago. And you're going to be so faithful to us 10 hours and 10 years from today. God, I pray for 
the person in the room right now who's just under the weight of exhaustion of this world and the the cares of this world are just weighing heavily on our hearts and our minds and I, I pray God that you would provide them peace in a way that only you can and God we commit to you this season of ministry and we ask you to work we ask you to providentially provide in a way that only you can because God we know that you are at work and you invite us to be a part of the work thank you Thank you so much, God, for who you are, and thank you for meeting us in this place. And it's the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're thankful for you.